So we'll soon turn to God's Word uh, to consider this topic of hypocrisy. Uh, but before, I wanted, before we actually do that together, I just wanted to introduce what we're going to be discussing this afternoon, this theme of hypocrisy. As we uh, look out to our culture today, one of the things that our culture really does value and strive for is authenticity, transparency in how we act and how we deal with one another. Uh, This can be demonstrated by some of the common proverbial sayings that we might say to one another. Things like, just be real, be yourself, be true to you through and through. What you see is what you get. Over and against these proverbial sayings and what they mean is the human tendency to, to be what we might say fake or two-faced or a hypocrite, a trait we hate and find repulsive when we recognise it. Uh, th- this kind of theme is somewhat discussed and shown in the lyrics of the song uh, The Pretender. Back in 2007, the American band Foo Fighters released that song, The Pretender. You may or may not know it. I will not sing it to you. Uh, but in this song, it's, it seems to be speaking about uh, the government or those in authority who keep you in the dark or pretend in order to maintain control and power over others. Uh, the opening lines of this song say, Keep you in the dark. You know they all pretend. Keep you in the dark. And so it all began. When we recognise it at least and smell a facade, someone being fake, it puts us off and makes us spew a little bit on the inside when we recognise it. We hate the feeling that someone is hiding something from us and it makes us distrust them at the deepest level. And for some people, it's actually exactly how they feel towards Christianity and the church. You're all a bunch of hypocrites. Some in our culture will say or feel towards Christianity. And actually, sadly, there is good reason to feel this way at times. For there are many examples of Christians, even highly influential ones, who have been shown to be acting deeply hypocritical. One tragic example of this is uh, the example of Ravi Zacharias a famous Christian apologist who died back in 2020. After his death, credible reports emerged where it is believed he engaged in sexual misconduct, something that he had previously denied while alive. Now, if these reports are true, it would seem that he was being two-faced. The man who was claiming to preach the truth wasn't fully living that truth out in his private life not even disclosing this to close friends or associates. Uh, but this sin of hypocrisy is in the church is not isolated to individuals. Sometimes it can be a church-wide issue. Uh, for many in Australia, what certainly broke the camel's back in terms of breaking all trust that they had with the church was the Royal Commission into Institutional responses to child sexual abuse that the Australian government undertook back in 2020 to 2014. Now this Royal Commission unearthed 
abuse that occurred in a whole range of institutions and organizations, including many religious institutions. Now, I know this topic of abuse, whether inside the church or otherwise, is a very sensitive and heartbreaking topic. And I certainly don't mention it this afternoon lightly. There may be some here who have suffered or know someone who has suffered abuse. If this is you, then we are deeply saddened that the Christian faith has been associated with these destructive actions, particularly on the part of church leaders. We want to offer our sympathy, our support and prayers in your journey and also believe that the pain that has been caused is ultimately not beyond the redemption and restoration offered in Jesus. I do mention it though because perhaps it is the most obvious and potent display of hypocrisy in the church, one that simply cannot be overlooked. Uh, I've got a slide here of one thing that a survivor had to say. This comes straight from the government website. Uh, This particular person says, The Catholic Church broke all morals of their own teachings by protecting these brothers. They destroyed my childhood and stunted my personal growth, both emotionally and psychologically. I have only survived due to a strong and loving wife and her family and my wonderful aunt and cousins who have supported me. With the Royal Commission, I have been able to find my voice and tell my story and to be believed. Uh, On the next slide, elsewhere, the Commission states, it says these failures are not confined to religious institutions. However, the failures of religious institutions are particularly troubling because these institutions have played and continue to play an integral and unique role in the lives of many children. They've also been key providers of education, health and social welfare services to children in Australia for many years. They have been among the most respected institutions in our society. The perpetrators of child sexual abuse in religious institutions were, in many cases, people that children and parents trusted the most and suspected the least. In the face of such broken trust and profound hypocrisy, what response can Christianity provide? Does the reality of hypocrisy in the church null and void the Christian faith? Without further ado, I want to turn to Scripture now, reading from Matthew 23, where we hear from Jesus himself as he addresses hypocrisy. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew 23, where we hear the words of Jesus. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, the words will be on your screen. Now, I do want to read much of this chapter. I'll skip over a few verses for the sake of time, uh, but much of it is very potent and helpful for us, so I will read much of it. So reading from Matthew 23, from verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. 
but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not, be, do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much the child of hell as you are. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, from verse now 20, 23. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of law, of the law, justice, peace and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I tell you, all this will come on this generation." Uh, let me pray before I continue. Uh, Heavenly Father, these are heavy words to consider and a very important issue to discuss. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work amongst us now as we consider your words, the words of Jesus that we've just read and considered. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts, 
that you would clean us from the inside out and that we thank you for that offer, that ability that you, um, that, that work that you do in us through Jesus. Praise in your name. Amen. So these are certainly some really strong words, I think you will agree with me, from Jesus here. And as we consider them for a few moments this afternoon, and this attitude and reality of hypocrisy, there are two key things that I want us to take away from these verses this afternoon. And the first is this, God hates hypocrisy. If you are here today and hate hypocrisy in the church, or anywhere for that matter, you are not alone. God himself is with you wholeheartedly. It's helpful for us for a moment just to consider what we mean by hypocrisy, at least according to, to the Bible, to the scripture. Uh, the biblical idea of hypocrisy, it doesn't equal all types of sin whereby we might accuse a Christian of sinning at all and not living up to God's perfect standards. All Christians in this life struggle with ongoing sin, hence our deep, deep need for Jesus. Instead, when we consider hypocrisy, we're thinking about a specific sin. It's that sin when there's a profound discrepancy between our public image and what we betray to others and say about ourselves compared to what actually happens in our private life. When we make it appear and even state to others that we are pure in one area of our life, but in reality we're acting entirely different privately. Uh, the word hypocrite actually in the Greek derives from uh, Greek theatre, where performers of the day would actually wear different masks as they performed their theatre role, whether they're acting in a comedy or a tragedy. And so they'd swap between these masks as required. And from this very idea, it then evolved and took on this, uh, the negative connotation that we know today, the idea of being a hypocrite and putting on a mask. And as we consider Jesus' words here, we discover that this Sin of hypocrisy is not a new problem that God's people faced. The scribes and Pharisees Jesus spoke of here uh, were the religious leaders of the day, the elite in Israel at the time. Their position was God-given, a position that they ought to have stewarded well and served others rather than lording it over them. But oh, according to Jesus, how poorly did they fulfill that role? Jesus calls them hypocrites. Jesus here declared seven woes against them in Matthew 23, showing a complete and utter disgust for their actions and what was truly occurring deep down in their hearts. What was their heart problem? Well, at its heart, they were twisting God's word. God's truth for selfish, self-seeking, self-glorifying reasons and motives. Using their position to look good in the eyes of others. Puffing themselves up with pride. Giving the appearance that all was well and that they had it all together. 
But in fact, they were wretched, polluted, and wicked on the inside. In other words, they were political beasts of a different age, saying what needed to be said to keep people happy. Teaching God's ways, but not acknowledging, not being willing to acknowledge how they weren't living up to these very same standards in private and deep down in their heart. In condemning hypocrisy of these Jewish leaders, Jesus didn't only reveal an uncomfortable truth about the people of his day or the church of any day when we act act hypocritically. No, Jesus was also revealing something that is actually true of all humanity in some way or another. The truth that actually we are all capable of acting hypocritically of being two-faced. Now, in God's good grace, our hypocrisy may never amount to the same spectacular sin that I've already mentioned this afternoon. But nonetheless, if we dig deep enough, hypocrisy lurks in the recesses of our own hearts and lives. Uh, For some people, this might actually be quite overt and obvious. Uh, I wonder if you've ever recognized in yourself or a time that you have put on a front to others. Acting one way to someone, but then entirely different to someone else. Uh, I find it interesting that in our culture, when we go to a job interview, there's an instant temptation, I I don't know if you've felt this yourself, uh, to put your best foot forward, being quick to highlight our strengths, but slow to admit our weaknesses and failings, including perhaps how often we might check our social media during working hours. Or perhaps the many times uh, that we ourselves or or someone that we know might have berated someone else for breaking the rules during COVID lockdowns when secretly we did the same thing when it was convenient for us. But for others, this sin of hypocrisy is less obvious. A common belief for many in our society, is that we don't really need religion. We should just seek to be a good person towards others. Maybe you actually think that the Christian message of forgiveness actually, in theory, sounds really good. We like the idea of it. But personally, you might think, I don't really see the need for it. Why do I need to be saved? I'm a pretty good person, aren't I? But the offensive The offensive message of the gospel is that actually, according to the Bible, none of us are good. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, says Paul in Romans 3.23. Deserving of hell, deserving of God's judgment. The Bible says elsewhere that our hearts are so sick that our hearts can even convince ourselves that we are A-OK. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all else, all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So deceitful is the heart that without God's Holy Spirit to work in us and convict us, we convince ourselves that we are without sin and wrongdoing in the eyes of God. In, in chapter 1, in 1 John, verse 8 there, it says, If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
the offensive truth of the gospel is that if we deny that we are sinners, then actually, by definition, that makes us hypocrites as well. Jesus is strong at condemnation here in Matthew 23 shows just how serious God takes hypocrisy right down to the core and the deepest part of our being. Jesus' message is clear. Hypocrisy is no place in God's kingdom, nor amongst his followers. And when it rears its ugly head in the church, it's right and must be, conf- it must, uh, be confronted and called out for what it is and how it brings dishonor to God's name. So that's the first thing that is very plain and clearly spoken of in Matthew 23. We learn that God does hate hypocrisy and he wants it to be ridden out of his followers. The second thing that we learn from Matthew 23 and and Matthew as a whole is that God loves hypocrites. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he was not far away from being plotted against by these same Jewish leaders and sent to the cross where he would die. Something that they had denied in the text that we just read, but would indeed soon occur. But rather than running away from this reality, this thing that Jesus would have to face from the hands of these Jewish leaders, Jesus stayed the course, knowing that he would soon be condemned by them. Just like John the Baptist was not long before, and any other truth-speaking prophet, or often many truth-speaking prophets before him. Uh, If you don't know who John the Baptist was, uh, if you read earlier in Matthew's Gospel, in any of the Gospels, you will hear about him. And he was someone who was commissioned by God to prepare God's people for the coming of Jesus. Coming of the Messiah, the Saviour of the world. And the leaders and the Jewish people of his day condemned John and didn't accept him as a prophet. Something that Jesus was about to face too. So why did why did Jesus stay the course? Because he was motivated by love for his people. Jesus came to earth for the very reason of ridding humanity of our sin, including hypocrisy. And the only way that this was going to be achieved was for him to go to that Roman cross. In Romans 5.8, Paul there says, But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. On the cross, the only perfect sinless one died for the imperfect sinner. The only truthful and integral one died for the hypocrite. On that Roman cross, Jesus received the just penalty for sin, including our hypocritical ways, and he bore the wrath of God on himself. In Isaiah 53 verse 5 it says, He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we have, uh, we are healed. But if things only ended there with Jesus' death, 
that would have spoken tragedy for all of God's people. For Jesus needed to rise again. Why? Because by doing so on the third day, he showed himself victorious over sin. In John 14 verse 19, Jesus says, Because I live, you also will live. The resurrection means for believers that Jesus' own perfect, pure life is supernaturally given to his followers. That they too might be declared just and pure in God's eyes. And be given the Holy Spirit who changes our hearts so that we can begin living a new life for God. The core of the message of Christianity then is that we can't save ourselves. The Jewish leaders were in in effect slamming the door shut to God's kingdom in people's faces by rejecting Jesus as the Messiah and teaching others to be self-saviors who tried to be good enough through their own works and being good enough through their own ability. But the truth is that all of us, all of humanity, need Jesus and his saving grace. Unlike the Jewish leaders who slammed the door shut to God's kingdom, through Jesus the door has been forced open so that all are invited to enter through him and his saving work. In John 14 verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In the gospel, we discover actually the greatest scandal in human history. The greatest scandal in human history is not the existence of hypocritical Christians, as terrible and utterly deplorable as that is. No, the greatest scandal is that God loves and is willing to save hypocrites at all. That through believing in Jesus and the gospel, we can receive God's undeserved grace and the forgiveness of sins. The problem then is not that Christ was not able to deal with our hypocrisy. Rather, the problem is that we underestimate how deep this problem truly runs in the human race. We have fallen so far and require nothing less than open heart surgery, a complete renewed nature from the inside out. In the West, as this war against religion rages, the West may be tempted to discard Christianity, much like you might discard a disposable coffee cup, being something that was useful for a time, but is now worthless. But actually, the exact opposite is true. If we want to overcome the woes of humanity, including our hypocrisy, what we need is a more robust and authentic Christianity. When the church loses its way, it loses its true source of power and purity. In these times, the church needs to return to its true roots, its foundation based on nothing less than Jesus Christ himself and his gospel of grace, to press more deeply into him. So where does that leave us? Well, as this uh, war, the dust of this war settles in our culture, 
And the church lays in tatters, left as rubble on the ground for all the mess that we've made for ourselves. I implore you to look past all that rubble, to dig under the rubble and to discover the true treasure there that has been there all along. Even at times where parts of the church or the church has severely hindered seeing that treasure, where it's been severely hidden by our sinful mess. The treasure being Christ himself, the righteous one, the only one able to clean us and cure our hypocrisy. A task that he will bring to completion one day in all its fullness when he returns to come and claim his people as his own. But if this uh, gospel is a new thing for you today and you truly want to see this overcome in your own life and enjoy the treasure of Christ for yourself and experiencing God's love through him, you must be willing to respond positively to him and his gospel. To enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be willing to enter through the door. In John verses, uh, in chapter nine, uh, chapter ten, verse nine, Jesus says, "There, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture." The Bible says that you must do two things to show that you've truly heard and accepted the gospel and your need for God's unconditional grace. That is, we must repent. And believe. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says there, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Therefore, we must repent. What does that mean? It means we must acknowledge that we are indeed sinners in need of forgiveness that we can't save ourselves, and that we can't overcome our hypocrisy by ourselves. It means we must turn away from our life of sin and turn to Jesus and live in his ways. And we must also believe. Believe that Jesus really does take away our sin. That in him, through the Holy Spirit, we are made a new creation spiritually born again from the inside out, given the perfect life of Jesus in whom we can find rest and great joy. And so I ask you today, if that is you, considering Christianity for the first time, can I count you in? Are you willing to accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour and experience the new life that he offers you? I pray that you might. Let me close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, it is a weighty thing to consider your word this afternoon. To consider how we still fall short of your glorious ways. That it's easy to act hypocritically, put on a face and not show our true selves. Father, will you forgive us? Forgive us of our hypocritical ways. Father, will you change us? Will your Holy Spirit stir in us, convict us, and uh, give us new life? 
Father, we look to Jesus who takes away and deals with our sin. Father, I pray for anyone here that may have been hurt by the church, been hurt by the hypocrisy and and the sins of your people. Father, I pray that you might graciously heal them, heal their pain and grant them the grace that they need. Father, we want to thank you afresh for your son, Jesus, and for the redemption on offer through him. Father, I do pray particularly for any newcomers who perhaps are considering the gospel message for the first time or at least considering it in a meaningful way and in a deep way personally. Father, I pray that you might graciously reveal yourself to them, that they might see their need for you and might find forgiveness in you through believing and repenting. Father, we pray all this in your name. Amen.